You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit kingscross.org. In this series on the family, and so over the past couple of weeks, and we have two more weeks left, we either have been or, or we will be talking about um, moms and dads in the family and children. We've talked about um, marriage in the family and singleness in the family. Last week, we talked about the role of the local church in the family, and I thought it would be appropriate, given that we're praying over um, graduates from high school, college, and um, postgraduate work, to talk about something um, that they are going to be doing uh, until the Lord returns or calls them home, work. And so this week we're going to talk about work uh, and the family. So um, I did a little uh, background research this week, and it turns out that Americans work a lot. We are a working people. Since 1960, the number of households with two working adults has gone up from 20% to 70%. So more of us than ever before work outside of the home. Since 1950, the average productivity of the American worker has gone up by 430%. So while more of us are working, we are also producing more than we ever have in the same amount of time. Um, And yet, instead of, some of you are old enough to remember, they used to tell us that as all this technology raised productivity, we would work less. That didn't turn out, that was just a lie. It turned out, right? Actually, what it has produced us, it has pushed us to do more work than ever before. So on average, if you just look nationwide at Americans, we work about two weeks a year more than our peers um, in the other 36 countries that, um, for global entities that do these kind of studies, the other 36 countries that has comparable economies to us, We work on average two weeks more a year than our peers in those countries, largely because we take fewer sick days. Can I have my water? We take fewer sick days. Forgot to bring it up. Thanks. Um, We take fewer vacation days, and we don't even have basic parental leave laws in most parts of the country, so we wind up working more. American women who are working full-time on average 8.33 hours a day. For men, it's 9.09 hours a day. And if you pull some data on just our zip codes, that kind of where King's Cross folks live, if you drill down into that, what you'll find is that about 40% of us get clinically insufficient amounts of sleep. So I'm, uh, I'm part of Gen X. If you look at just my generation and younger, My generation and younger. We work more than our parents and grandparents did, and we sleep less than is needed to be healthy, yet we have more debt than our parents and grandparents did. We give substantially less to our local churches and to charities in general than our parents and grandparents did. And for all of that work and all of that lack of sleep that we do, If you look at objective international studies, the United States ranks outside of the top 10 in quality of life in every research study you can find. 
Like something about work is broken. And it appears, according to the data, to be getting more broken all the time. Now, our phones are better than our grandparents and grandparents were, right? Like, like that's good. Interest rates aren't double digits like they were in the 80s. Praise the Lord for that. You can't smoke on airplanes anymore. That's good, right? Some things have gotten better. It's not all doom and gloom. But work is a huge factor in the life of the family. And its influence over, on, and in the nuclear family is growing all the time. Work is an enormous part of family life, no matter what your family looks like. Now, for some of you, that's worked out really well. You, you have worked hard, and, and whatever gifts and skills that you are good at, that, that God gave you, you just happen to be living at a time in the history of the world where those marketable skills are, are working out really well for you. Because maybe if you've been born like in the 14th century, nobody needed you to program computers. And so praise God that he, that he put you in the, your mind in this time in the world. And so that's worked out really well. And, and you've gotten some financial gains and maybe you were able to retire or to retire early. And that's a good thing. Praise God for that. But for others, if you, if you pull the lens back and you kind of look at the big picture, it would appear that some of the cultural myths that we bought into about how hard work will unlock the good life, like, there might have been some fine print there that we didn't really read um, because it just looks like something is broken. Now, I'm not an economist. I'm not a policy analyst. I don't really understand how to dig down into all of that data and figure out what all that means or what the solutions are in a macroeconomic kind of way. But I do know a couple of things about theology. And I do know how to dig down into God's design for work and make a few observations about that and how it applies to people. And I do know that God's word is not silent about work or about how work in the family ought to work out. In fact, God's word gives us some foundational truths about work that are intended, I believe, to to shape how we, how we think about work and how we approach it, how we carry out work, not just generically, but in the context of the family as a whole. And so I want to show you four of those this morning, four foundational truths straight out of God's word about work and how it impacts the family. The first one is this, that God calls the family to work. God calls the family to work. And I mean everybody in the family. I'll explain what I mean by that. Work is a part of God's good plan. If you know your scriptures or if you will go back um, and read that. I was looking at this Bible recap. I've never seen that before. I don't know if you all have that or not. Um, if not, and you're looking for a daily Bible reading plan, you should ask Megan about that because that looks really good. Like I, That's not just a student thing. That would benefit a lot of us probably. But if you're reading something like that and you're back into Genesis, what you'll see is that our first parents, Adam and Eve, committed the first sin against God in Genesis 3.6. Since Genesis 3.6, every human being, including me and you, have repeated this same pattern of sin that our first parents had where we, we all question God's 
goodness and we, we seek to satisfy our own desires in our way and in our time and we've rebelled against God's good and right commands. And their sin and our sin has made everything worse. Our world that we live in is broken and cursed. We see that all the time on the nightly news. We almost never watch nightly news that my parents were in for Avery's graduation and they love the news. And so we turned it on and I was like, oh, that's why I don't watch the news. Because everything on there is just broken and cursed and hurt. It's, it's just depressing. Right? We, we just understand the world around us is that way. Our relationships have, are very often strained and painful. Spiritually, we find ourselves far from God, desperately in need of a Savior to redeem us and to reconcile us to Him because we feel the emotional distance between us and our Creator. And all of that is why we worship Jesus because His death and resurrection has made it possible for those things to be redeemed and restored and for us to be reconciled to God. But before all of that brokenness began in Genesis 3.6, we read this in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Work is part of God's good plan for mankind. And God has called the entire family to it. To caring for and to cultivating. That's working and keeping. To care for and to cultivate the raw materials of God's creation. Now, there's one important distinction I want to make here. When I use the word work in the context of Genesis 2.15, what I mean is vocation, not occupation. Okay, vocation, not occupation. Occupation is defined when you um, exert some labor and you get compensated for it. That's what defines your occupation. You go do something, physical or intellectual, and somebody pays you for it. Vocation is defined when people use their God-given gifts and skills and passion and time and talents to love and serve their neighbor and to care and cultivate God's creation. You with me on that? Just Jason. We already bragged on him. I can't keep bragging on, right? This is, it's important. Occupation, you exchange labor for compensation. Not all of you have an occupation, Vocation is you using the time and talent and gifts and skills and passions that God has given you to love and serve your neighbor and to care and cultivate God's creation. And everything can be vocation. Everybody has a vocational calling. Not everything is an occupation, but God has called everybody in the family to work in a vocation. So, Think about the places where you live, learn, work, and play. No matter what stage of life you're in, do you view those spheres of influence as vocational callings? So think about how God's wired you. Like, what are you good at? Everybody's good at something. Maybe it's cooking or math or you can work with your hands really well or you're just really good at being a peacemaker. Like, what are you good at? What resources has God put into your hands? Maybe you're someone with some financial margin, or you have spare time, or you're particularly well-networked. You have resources that God has given you. 
Or maybe you just have some attributes and just parts of kind of who you are. Maybe you're patient or you're really good at making people laugh or you're a good leader. Think about the things that you're passionate about. What really stirs you up and gets you going? Maybe you are active in justice ministries or you're passionate about literacy gaps or environmental care. Like, just think about these things, skills, resources, attributes that you have. Do you understand, no matter what age or stage of life that you're in, that God is calling you to use those things in your vocational spheres to love and serve your neighbors? Are you thinking about, hey, there's an expectation that God has. He's, he's given me these things. He's given me these skills, these passions. Do you recognize that he intends for you to use them to care for and to cultivate his good creation, to love and serve your neighbors? God has called everybody in the family into that, no matter what age or stage of life you're in, no matter what your family looks like. Because he called us into that before sin entered the world. With me? Second, God provides for the family through work. So he calls the family to it, but he also provides for the family through work. Now this is going to seem obvious, but just bear with me if you will. I wonder if you think about, like God could have had he chose, he could have chosen to provide for his image bearers, right? Only men and women bear the image of God in different ways. So he could have made us like trees, right? We, we just go out and we stand and we absorb air and water and sunlight and that's all we need. He could have made us that way. He could have made us like whale sharks. Y'all know what a whale shark is? They filter feed, right? They just open their mouth and swim around. He could have made us like that. We all just walk. We just walk around like that all day long. He could have done that if he chose to provide for us that way. He could have provided for us like the Israelites in the desert. Do you know the Old Testament manna? Then for 40 years, the Israelites wander around the desert, and every morning they had to wake up and go get frosted flakes off the ground and bring it back in. And then like any left at the end of the day rotted. He could have done that. You could be eating the exact same thing every day. But that's not how he's chosen to provide for his image bearers. In his wisdom, he provides for you and your family through work. Don't take that for granted. Because for almost all of us, God has provided you a place to live that you didn't build with your own hands. The place you live was built by the work of others. That's not true of like hawks. They have to build their own nest. Yes? Okay, like for most of us, the food that we eat was not planted, tended, harvested, and transported by us. We got that through the work of other people. That's not true of deer. They have to go get their own food every single day. God could have chosen to provide for all of us that way. God provides us clothes to wear. I, I venture to guess that almost none of us have a blacksmith shop out in the backyard where we hammer out little needles and then we harvest and spin our own cotton into thread that we then sew into clothes. 
right? Jason does, but that's probably true. This is overachiever, right? Like, you have the clothes that we're wearing, that you're wearing, and that I'm wearing out because of the work of other people. Do you see my point? Like, and I don't even know what animal wears clothes, or I would give you an example of that. But, right? Somebody, the, God is providing for you from the work of other people. Now, why do I point that out? Because here's what I think some of you probably think in your mind. You think, I did this. Nobody gave me nothing. I've worked hard every day. Ain't nobody never giving me nothing. Well, that's, you're just an arrogant fool. Of course, they have, you may have worked very hard and earned some money, but God has provided for you through the work of other people. Because you didn't have to work to enjoy every single thing you have. And some of the things you have, you wouldn't know how to put them together even if you did. Because you may be brilliant at financial management, but have no idea how to manufacture an iPhone. But your phone, God has provided for your productivity through the work of other people. For all of us, there was a time when we were too little to work. and Somebody else cared for you. If you live long enough, it's very likely that there will come a point where you're too weak to work. And someone will have to care for you again. And no matter how many resources you have, you are benefiting from the work of other people's hands. And watch this. That's how God designed it to be. He designed it that you would benefit from and be provided for by not only your own work, but the work of other people. Because other people have gifts and skills and passions too. And when they use theirs to love and serve you, and you use yours to love and serve them, all the boats get raised by that tide of vocational calling. You with me? Philippians 4. Paul is wrapping up a letter to his friends at a, at a town called Philippi. He had planted a church there. In verses 10 through 20, he specifically thanks them for their financial gifts that have allowed him to focus on ministry. And so God provided for Paul's work of preaching and teaching and church planting through the financial gifts of other people, of the Philippian Christians. Now, by definition, if you just think about that, what that means is they have less money for their family. Fair? Like, I, I stand up here and tell you, here are the things that we want to do at King's Cross. Would you please sacrificially give? Would you begin giving so that we could do those things? Well, in the world's economy, that's a zero-sum game. So money that you give to the church is money you don't have for your family, right? But that's not God's economy. God's economy doesn't work that way. It's not a zero-sum game. So what you see in Philippians 4.19 is that after Paul thanks them for giving to him, he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ. And so Paul is teaching them. He's saying, hey, look, God has provided for me through your work, and he's going to provide for you because he's got riches and glory in Christ that aren't going to run out. He's not hoping that you don't ask for anything else until the end of the month. God's not short on resources, Paul's saying. But if your heart takes a posture that says, I have to provide for me and mine because if I don't, nobody else will. 
Well, that's a heart that doesn't trust the Lord. That's a heart that doesn't understand that everything comes from God. It's a heart that's losing sight of the truth that God provides for the family through work, but it's not all your work. Sometimes it's the work of other people. And I would suggest to you that if you can drive this perspective like deep down into your heart where you can cultivate this heart of, of thanksgiving and humility and understand that God is providing for you, yes and amen, through your own work, but also through the work of other people. It will radically change the way you view vocational and occupational callings of other people. But it's an intentionality thing to, to cultivate a heart that looks around the world and appreciates things and doesn't take them for granted and understands the way that God is providing for people. Let me give you one example. Somebody, I don't know who, somebody figured out the average trash volume of the American suburban home per week. Some of you are old enough to know, we used to have those little metal cans, and you had to drag like four of them out. Or and somebody figured out, if we make this rolling thing this particular size, you're going to just about fill it up on the night before it has to go out. Yes? I'm guessing it's a nerdy accountant somewhere with an actuarial table on trash volume. But somebody figured that out. And somebody else who like has a degree in material science from Clemson or something figured out if we can come up with this type of plastic, people can leave it outside like forever. And it never breaks down and it never wears out. And like the plastic is just good forever. And somebody else figured out, well, you know what? If the handle and the wheels are just this certain size, and if we shape it like this, then it's going to be pretty easy to move no matter how heavy it is. It's not going to tip over one way or the other. And we can set it out there on the street. And it's sturdy enough that as long as it's not tropical storm season, it's not going to get blown over all the time. Dogs can't knock it down the way they did the little metal cans, right? Somebody had to figure that out. And then somebody else figured out how to send little trucks around and pick up the garbage from every single house in the city every single week, including they don't get behind when there's a holiday. They usually, it's just one day. Well, they usually picked up trash on those days anyway. How are they picking it up faster? I don't know. Somebody with a logistics degree probably figured that out. And then to show off, they made a blue one for your recycling. And if you drag your couch out to the curb, there's a third truck that shows up out of nowhere, picks that thing up. It just goes away. Do you take that for granted? Be glad I didn't pick the wastewater system as an example. Right? Like God has provided for you. Your trash just disappears. I don't take that for granted, man. If you lived in like the 13th century, people are chucking their latrine buckets and their dinner leftovers out the window. You're just walking around in it. Praise God that you were born in the 20th century. These are the ways that God is providing for your family. If you're a Christian, and I know not everybody's a Christian, but if you are, I think it is good and right to think about God providing for your family by giving you marketable skills to earn a paycheck. Yes and amen. But God's provision for you goes way beyond that. Way beyond that. 
If you can intentionally develop a humble view of the world and cultivate a thankful heart and celebrate the vocational callings of other people, like, I don't know what the compensation and benefit package is for the trash people that come around and work for sanitation services, but somebody figured out a way to keep those people employed. Praise God for that, because that's not menial. I assure you that if they stopped working very, very, very quickly, I would see the value in what they do. That's a heart issue. You've got to cultivate that and thank God for that when you see the work that other people are doing that benefits you. Third, God commands the family to rest from work. Commands the family to rest from work. Let me remind you, by work, I mean vocation, not necessarily occupation. It may be occupation, but it may not be. This includes everyone, not just the primary breadwinner. So if you are the primary earner in your home, you make sure that you're not the only one that gets a day off. Because this applies to everybody. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Resting from work should do at least two things for your heart. Number one, it should remind you that the world and your job and your family are being provided for by God, not you. And the second thing is it should remind you that you're not God. Because things happen even if you don't work. The world keeps rolling on. Your family is okay. If you rest the way the Lord God commanded you to rest. Now here's what I know. Practically speaking, some of you don't believe that. I'll tell you that practically speaking, I struggle to believe it. Resting is hard for me. And my wife has to remind me like she did literally yesterday the day before I preached a sermon about work, that it was okay because I was feeling unproductive and I started to get anxious. That's a hard issue with me. I'm trying to work on it. Like, some of you don't believe, practically speaking, that if you rest, the Lord will take care of things. And if we're honest, there are probably some of you who can't. Because if you take a break, things stop working. And chances are, especially if you're someone of influence, it's that way because that's the way you set it up because you like to feel needed and it strokes your ego a little bit. And so you, you've set up a system where people rely on you because it brings you value, right? But God did not intend for work to drive value and identity into you. He intended it to be used to care for and cultivate his good creation and to love and serve your neighbors. So don't miss that the passage I just read is part of the Ten Commandments. That's not super advanced spirituality for people who are preachers. 
Right? It's Christianity 101. It's one of the ten. So if you are someone who regularly works at your occupation seven days a week, it's not a bad habit. It's not a virtuous work ethic. It's sin, according to God. And if you're someone who regularly works at a vocation, so maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or a student or you blog or you're an Instagram influencer and you just love it, like you love it, and so you never rest from it, that's sin according to God. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Don't work every day. Right? Now, I understand that there are times when people have to do things to get certain things done, I understand. But I'm talking about a regular rhythm and a regular habit of your life. So I'm not suggesting, I mentioned stay-at-home moms, right? I'm not, I'm not suggesting that one day a week if you show up at somebody's house, their three-year-old's just unattended for 24 hours, right? I, I understand, so I, I, I get that, right? But there has to be some type of intentional thought put in. So if you're, like, if you're a married couple that has small kids, you've got to think about this. Well, what does this look like? And, and who might I need to ask for help? And what, what does rest for me look like in the context of raising small kids? I can't just leave my eight-month-old out in the driveway. Like that, that doesn't work. So you may have to, to spend some time sitting down together and thinking about the structure of your week. And what do rhythms of regular rest look like for you? I'll give you an example. I work on Sunday. Sunday's not a Sabbath for me, right? Sunday's a pretty heavy work day. So I have to change and rework that. If you're a single parent, like, man, this gets hard. You may have to get vulnerable with some people to talk about, but like, you can't run forever without resting. God didn't wire you that way. And so you may have to invite some people into your life and get vulnerable with them and say, hey, man, like, I'm on fumes. I need some help here. I, I, I need to think this through, no matter what your family looks like or what the culture might say is normative, God's design for work in the family is that there would regularly be rhythms of rest from work, even really good work that you really like. And can I tell you why that is? Because God sees you as more than useful. He loves you, and he wants you to have some space to be with him. You are not a robot intended to crank out widgets for God's kingdom. You are a human being made in his image into whom he has breathed his spirit and with whom he desires a relationship. You are not your occupation you are not your vocation. God didn't give you those things to define you. He gave them to you to serve and love the people around you and to care for and cultivate his good creation. And resting from work will reinforce that to your heart, which is why he commands it. Last one. God invites the family to join in his work. to join in his work. We're going to come full circle. So Genesis 2, we see God's plan and design for work before sin. 
If you get to Ephesians 2, you see God's vision for work after people come to a place of repentance and faith. And I understand that if you're not a Christian yet, you may struggle to see occupation and vocation these ways. So just understand that when you come to a place of repentance and faith and God begins to make you new and to form you into the image of Christ, one of the things that he's going to transform is your view of occupation and vocation. But Ephesians 2.10, we see this. Paul writes, We are his, that's God's workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I think sometimes people read Ephesians 2.10 and they think that God has like a little post-it note and it's got Chip's name written on top. It's got like three or four bullet points of good works that he has planned. You know, it's like, okay, on this Tuesday at three o'clock in 2037, Chip's going to do this. And it's this kind of short list of things, right? I'm going to go on a mission trip. Uh, I'm going to share the gospel with Judy and marketing. Um, I'm going to give this $8 more a week like he's asking me to. Uh, I'm going to rescue a puppy. Like those are good things. Praise God for, the, for those things. But this is a much bigger vision for work than that. Like Ephesians 2.10 is not some short little bucket list. God did not send his son to die so that you could do one or two good things a quarter for the next 50 years and then die and go to heaven. It's much grander than that. He says he's prepared works for you to walk in. Good works that are just a part of who you are. Good works that are just like an ongoing part of what it means for you to exist. You know, this is just part of your lifestyle. It's part of your family's regular rhythm. And so when I begin by saying that God's given everybody gifts and skills and passions and time and resources for certain vocational callings, if you combine Genesis 2.15 with Ephesians 2.10, you begin to get this grand vision for work in the family on what it is that that looks like. Because if everybody is created as God's workmanship and redeemed and saved for good works to walk in, then that means it's not just pastors and worship leaders. That means it's lawyers and line cooks too, and cab drivers and concert pianists and horse trainers and hotel clerks and moms and dads and kids and grandparents and aunts and uncles and siblings and friends and neighbors and schoolmates and co-workers and like we all have this redemptive part to play in God's economy. And so God's purpose for your life is that you would walk in the fullness of his gifting and calling in your life. And it may be occupationally, but it is certainly vocationally. That you would just walk in the fullness of what that is. In the first chapter of Mark's gospel, he summarizes Jesus' preaching ministry this way. He says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, and this is how Mark sums up Jesus' preaching ministry. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus says. With his coming into the world, a new age has been ushered in. The kingdom is here, Jesus said. 
we would say it was inaugurated at his first coming. It will be fully consummated at his second coming. And so when Jesus tells his people to be salt in the world and to be a light for the world, when he tells his followers that they will do even greater works than he has done, when James tells the church that faith without works is dead, when Peter tells the church that we are a nation of priests, when Paul tells the church that Christians are to work as for the Lord, not man, I think all of that stuff, is tied into and is a part of what Jesus means when he says in Revelation 21.5, Behold, I am making all things new. I don't think that that starts in the throne room of Revelation 21. I think it started in a manger in Luke 2 when God was born in the flesh. And I think it was nurtured and taught and incubated in hillsides and on boats and in living rooms all around Jerusalem during Jesus' three-year preaching and teaching ministry. I think it was demonstrated for all the earth to see when he walked out of an empty tomb and said, I am making all things new. I think it exploded into the world when the Holy Spirit came in Acts 2. And now, if you are a Christian or if you would become a Christian, God is inviting you and your family into that work of making all things new. We are living between two worlds. The kingdom has been inaugurated. It's yet to be consummated. And in the middle, Jesus has begun the process of making all things new. And so the only real question is, are you going to be a part of that? Do you see yourself as part of that? Do you see what you do occupationally or what you do vocationally? as part of the way that God is restoring all things. If you're not a Christian yet, your first step into being a part of that is repentance and faith. It's to believe that you're a sinner separated from God, that Jesus died in your place, that he was raised from the dead. He was the first fruits of all things being made new. And that the way for you to be made new and you to be reconciled to God is to admit that you're a sinner and ask God to forgive you based on what Jesus has done. To pray right where you are to do that. We'd love to talk with you more about that if you want to get in touch with us about what it is that that looks like. But it's a simple prayer that just says, Father, I I recognize I'm a sinner. Would you please forgive me for that? Not because of my goodness, but because of what Jesus has done for me. And would you teach me what it looks like to follow him? If you are a Christian, but maybe you haven't thought about vocation this way before, I think your next step is is one of reorientation, of just beginning to think differently. There's a couple of really good books about this. Gene Veith's book, God at Work, is outstanding on this. If you want to read more about it, Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor, email me. I'll get you those things. If, If you're someone who would just love to think about this more deeply, if you would email me, Um, or or text me my cell phone numbers on my business card on the welcome desk and just say, hey, I'm struggling to know how to apply this. I'd love to go to lunch or coffee with you and just talk more about what it looks like to reorient your view of this in the place where you live, learn, work, and play and to help you begin to get reoriented. But if you're a Christian and you already look at occupation and vocation this way, if you would say yes and amen, God radically changed my understanding of that years ago. 
can I encourage you to begin teaching that to other people? Like to talk about these things in your grow group, to get together with me or Josh and say, hey, um, if somebody's struggling with this, I'd love to come alongside them and help them see how to implement this. You know, um, I, I was, uh, at one point I had young children at home. I'd love to come alongside a young mom and help her see what this looks like in the home. Like, would you begin passing along the wisdom that you've earned and learned? No matter where you are, we can all be thankful for God's goodness and his provision for us and his grace towards us in Christ and in the people that he's placed around us. I would challenge us just to try to become a people who live in response to that and who cultivate hearts of, of, of humility and of thanksgiving to God for that. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that so much of what we do we think of as work much of it is work some of it is work that provides the financial resources we just need to live some of it's work that is a joy to us some of it's drudgery some of it feels very redemptive to us some of us are in seasons of life where our work has completely changed but for all of us, we would ask that you would help our hearts and our minds to have a, a vision of your calling on our lives. Pray that you would help make us a church where this type of grand understanding of what kingdom work looks like would be pervasive. And we would encourage each other in this and challenge each other in this and, and come alongside one another in this for your sake and for the sake of your kingdom. Would you help those of us who are Christians to, to encourage non-believers around us that their work matters, that you see them and that there's a value in what they do, that they might not separate their spiritual life from their occupation and their vocation, but that they might begin to see them as one. Would you help us to have hearts that are thankful? for the ways that you provide for our families through the work of others. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. We hope that you were encouraged by the word of God today. Take a moment to click the subscribe button on your screen and you won't have to come searching for us next time. Until then, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.